At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 410th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Did you know the best seeds for your garden don't come from the nursery? In fact, the seeds that will create the most robust and delicious fruits and vegetables come directly from your garden. This is because they are uniquely adapted to your growing conditions, better than anything you can buy from a fancy catalog or website. Through the magic of seed saving, it is quite possible to have the garden of your dreams. The best part is, saving your own seeds is surprisingly easy and fun. With a bit of instruction, anyone can become a seed-saving superstar. Let us teach you how in our free seed-saving webinar. Just text SEEDS to 33444 to sign up or visit SeedSavingHacked.org for more information. That's SEEDS to 33444 or visit SeedSavingHacked.org. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is building up a better buzz on bees. We're talking with Lloyd Hardrick on keeping urban bees. Lloyd served in the U.S. Army for 10 years. After the Army, he became a certified beekeeper, and in 2015, he and his wife Ashley founded their beekeeping company. Honeybee Good Apiaries is not just about bees and honey. They specialize in developing relationships with urban farmers and teaching in local communities about relationships between bees, flowers, and food. Honeybee Good Apiaries was one of the Farmer Veteran Coalition's 2018 Fellowship Fund grant recipients. Honeybee Good plants their hives on urban farms throughout their community. Welcome to the show today, Lloyd. Hi, great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Well, the path I got into uh, honeybees is it's kind of weird. We, me and my wife, we went to London to see a football game. In London, they have this bank called Lloyd's Bank. And naturally, you see anything with your name on it, you want to check it out. Uh-huh. So <laughs> we actually got stuck in London traffic, which is pretty bad. So we actually had time to get out and walk up to the bank. And we saw stained glass windows with beehives in the windows. And we peeked in and we saw a tile design shaped in a, the shape of a bee. Uh-huh. So we actually got back home and we did some research. And Lloyd's Bank, how they got started was they got inspired by how bees work and the different facets and how organized they are. And that's what's made them one of the most successful financial institutions since the 1700s. Lloyd's of London. 
Yes. And they're connected with bees, and it's your same first name. I guess it's destiny. There you go. You're an education organization primarily, right? Yes, it's all about impact for us. The reason why we're like that, for I take myself, for example, I didn't see a hive of bees until I was about 26. And my concept on bees were that they belong out in the rural areas. And that's one of the main components our company is founded on is bringing honeybees to the urban area and community. And how do you do that? Well, it's all about just bringing a hive home, bringing the bees home learning about what they need to survive, what resources do they need to thrive as a hive, Mm -hmm. things you can do that won't hurt them, so to speak. Chemicals like Roundup, for example, have um, toxins that attack their central nervous system, and bees rely on their central nervous system to survive, i.e. communicate with each other, navigation, things like that are very important, and all of those are achieved by their nervous system. Right. So you're placing beehives basically at people's homes and farms in cities. Where, what city are you located in? Well, currently our, our base, where I'm from, we're from Atlanta, Georgia, uh-huh. South Fulton area. And basically we started working with urban farmers with their pollination efforts. A lot of farms have fruit trees, squash, other flowering crops or plants that depend on direct insect pollination. And so you went about to find farms in your area. What what brought that inspiration on? Well, I had a friend of mine that was an urban farmer just starting out, and I was uh, terrible with plants, terrible uh-huh, with plants. Uh-huh. But I, I really believed in the farm-to-table movement. So I just really, when we saw the bees and Lloyd and Lloyds of London, it kind of like clicked. Like I said, I was terrible. My green thumb was black it was i would kill everything i would touch because i really didn't know the makeup of plants but i've always been interested in insects so then that led me more into how bees keep us alive but the human race like we all depend on bees it's, right. it's everybody's business to want to save the bees cool and how many farms do you have beehives on well currently um we're working with two farms right now we're working with an urban farm by the name of Miller City Farms and another farm called Swanson Family Farms. Cool. And what's the relationship like with you and them? How do you navigate that? What do you do? Uh, you know, how do you get hives there? Tell me about that process. Each relationship is different. It just depends on the farmer and us, how we click or vibe, so to speak. For example, some farmers might have experience with bees and they might have navigated to a different avenue of farming, i.e. cattle ranching or cattle farming. Uh And some farmers have no idea what to do with a beehive. So it's all about the relationship. How we usually approach our farmers is we have a consultation. We kind of fill each other out a little bit, learn each other's experience. And we go from there and we just try to keep our symbiotic relationship kind of just like the bee in the flower. Oh, nice. That's a great metaphor. We're a totally natural, 100% natural company. We do not use sugar water at all. We don't, we don't put anything foreign in the hive. If it's not wood or metal, it does not go, in go the into the hive. Nice, nice. So uh, you've used the word apiary. What is an apiary? Yeah. Well, apiary is a, I don't want to say fancy, but it's the scientific word for a bee farm. The definition is a place 
or a plot of land where the main purpose is to raise and to formulate more beehives, basically, to, I don't want to say copy, but continue producing yeah. beehives in a certain area. Well, I think copy could be could be a good word because basically okay. once you set up a, a hive, they start, you know, breeding, making more bees. And at some point, you know, some of them bust out and want to go someplace else, don't they? Yes. And that process is actually called a swarm. It's when the hive gets to capacity and where the queen, she can't uh, really relay her messages by smell anymore because it's just so many bees in there. Uh So what she does is she lays an egg or eggs to replace her, so to speak. And her workers, they make replacement queens. And right before the queen started to emerge, the sitting queen, she takes away half of the hive with her to establish a new hive. Oh, so it's the existing queen that leaves. Yes, because if the existing queen stays, they they will fight. Oh, I never death. knew that. It's always something to learn about these these little uh, beings uh, keeping us alive. Yeah, I'll tell you what. There's always something to learn when it comes to growing growing food and interacting with nature. I've been doing it for over forty years, and every year I learn some pretty cool epic things. So yours is a fairly new business. What are your goals? Our first and number one goal is to create impact in the community. When we say impact, we, we want to start the conversation of pollinator conservation because without the pollinators, we can put seeds in the ground all day, every day. But certain plants that we love and depend on for food and fruit, like for us apples, oranges, squash, those kind of plants depend on direct insect pollination. Right. So that's our first goal to start that conversation. The next thing is uh, about us spreading the word about natural medicine. A lot of people don't understand that, you know, when they think about honeybees, they automatically think of honey. Honey is a byproduct of bees, but a lot of people think of it as candy or sweet, but it's actually medicine. It's actually the, the power of the sun harnessed in a liquid. If you think about it, well, we have plants that point up to the sun. Uh-huh. Plants need the sun to survive. They they harness the, the energy of the sun. So when the plant produces nectar to nectar and pollen to attract the bee, they have used that power of the sun to produce that. I hope I'm not getting too Bill Nye on you guys, but it's actually a, a very fascinating process. So the bee actually goes into the flower and takes the nectar back to her, her sister, which is waiting for her. She passes it along to her sister in a carrying pouch, and she puts that nectar into a comb. And that's what we see when we see a honeycomb. Wow. So the the nectar goes through two bees? Most of the time, because it's a faster process, the only time you'll see a bee go from flower back to the hive, back to the cell, is when she collects pollen, because she has it on her pollen sacks. So she has to go to the cell to get that off, basically. So the the honeybee doesn't collect pollen to make honey. They collect nectar to make honey. That is correct. They collect pollen to develop brood or eggs or baby bees, like I I tell the kids. Interesting. See, I didn't know that either. Wow. So once you place a hive at one of your urban farms and – you know, the bees have been there a while and you have a hive full of honey. Now what happens? 
when you have a hive full of honey, basically what has to happen, either you have to give the bees more space to make more honey or you have to take the honey away because if they run out of space to build, that will bring on the impulse to swarm. So if you want to take the honey out, how we like to do it, we like to do it in the most natural way as possible. We take um, a bee brush, which is, which is made out of, I want to say, cow tail hair. Uh-huh. And we just basically sweep them off of the comb in a oh, right. brush moment. There's several different ways you can do it. A lot of people use uh, fume boards. They spray, I think it's almond extract. Bees hate the smell of crushed almonds. Oh, wow. And they don't like the smell of cherry juice. That's another natural thing. So basically what the fume board does, it, it drives the bees down um, away from the honey box, and you, you could just pick it up. And it's one more way. It's called a bee escape. And it's where you could saw different designs. Bees can't turn around in tight spaces. So when you get a bee going in one direction, it moves like a tank, so they can't turn around in tight spaces. So basically what a bee escape does, it, it leads them to one area where they can't turn around. And you give that a day or two, and you can pull that off. Wow. All right, cool. And then you harvest the honey, and you start over again. Again, all over again. Or we, what we like to do, what makes us kind of unique, is we harvest the actual honeycomb, and we make skincare products out of that. Oh, and interesting. It is, that's great, great benefits for your skin. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Well, uh, I remember my first three hives. My first year, we actually lost two out of the three. Mm-hmm. It was a very challenging moment. We lost them due to ants, the soldiers of nature. Ants are relentless. When they smell something sweet, they go in there like an arrow. It's no stopping them. So basically what we did was we did all the research we could, you know, natural deterrence of ants. We tried cinnamon. We tried grits, all that kind of stuff. And basically what we did, we, we realized that we have to innovate for a solution mm-hmm. that's going to help us. So basically what we did was we got a little tub. One of those little tubs you buy from a retail store, we put a brick in it and filled it up with a little oil instead of water. Oh, right. So we went and evaporated and put a wooden board on top of the brick, and the bees were safe. Ah, so basically you built a uh, an island around the legs of the hive. Yes, a moat, so to speak. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Wow, cool. So what do you consider your biggest success? Our biggest success, I would say, is working with the kids, working with bringing this education to kids as young as kindergartners. Wow. Them being aware of honeybees and other pollinators at a, such a young young age. And so far, I can say that would be our biggest success. Yeah. In dealing with kids, uh, I suspect that you've had some extraordinary experiences. Can you think of any? Oh, absolutely. Okay, when, when you get kids in the honey rush, when we had, we had some honey straws for kids – with uh, one group we were working with, and they were what your mom and dad say, they were bouncing off the wall. Oh, right. <laughs> and I've never seen a group of kids color a, uh, a hive so fast. We had an activity for them, and we were telling them to design the hive, and those little hands start moving so fast off of the, uh, off the natural energy. And then what I was so surprised that that they loved the taste of natural honey so much, even the teachers did, because a lot of people – 
that taste honey, they're not eating real honey. Right. A hundred percent real mm-hmm. honey. So it, it was just really, really, really great to see that. Well, one of the things I committed two years ago was I only buy from a local beekeeper that I would know. So I know that I'm getting the real thing because the stuff you buy in the grocery stores might not be the real thing. It's, a, it's about an 80% chance that it's not the real thing. Um, a lot of the, the honey that you see at the grocery store, it could come from different corners of the, the world. It, can, uh-huh. it could be uh, one part of it can be from England. The other part could be from Brazil. And then the other or part China. could be from you know, China. Yeah, China is a big producer of not so great honey. Yeah, well, and I've heard rumor that they also water it down with other things and, Absolutely. you know, put additives in there that, that become problematic. So I just I just find a local beekeeper and support them. That's a great idea. Everybody should definitely do that. And there's several tests that you can actually do to, to test the quality of your honey oh, right in your kitchen. Tell me. The first test is the burn test. Well, a lot of people don't know honey is also a fuel of fire. So what you can do to find out if you have 100% raw honey, uh-huh. what you can you can get a, a Q-tip, just your average Q-tip, and put a drop of honey on a saucer or even the cap of the jar, uh-huh. get you a good amount of it, try to light it on fire. If it stays on fire, you have 100% raw honey. If it doesn't catch on fire... It's not 100%. Really? Seriously, yeah. Man, you are teaching me all kinds of things I didn't know. I did not know that. I know. uh, It's it's crazy because we step into a room of kids sometimes, and the teachers end up learning more than the kids. Yeah. So what drives you? Why why do you do what you do? Well, we do what we do is, like I said, first and foremost, it's all about the bees and the impact that we have on the community and the people around us starting a conversation about pollinators and pollinating pollinator conservation. It also what drives us is that so many people in our community and the farming community that believe in what we're doing and the support that we're receiving. I just want to, for example, the Farmer Veterans Coalition, they've been one of our main components to driving us in the right direction. Nice. So you actually got funding from the Farmer Veterans Coalition. Tell me about that. Yes, um, the Farmers Veterans Coalition um, actually gave us a grant that helped us out with uh, activities for a school that we were doing a tour with, with actually decorating the hive, which we received the grant money for. So we definitely um, wanted to thank them personally, yes. And then your family as well, right? Absolutely. We have two two girls that are also little beekeepers at uh, three and two already. Oh, nice. uh, they uh, ask about the bees every day. They tell everybody about the bees in their yard. So we, we yes, we start them young. Awesome. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? It would be a, a friend of mine. Um, his name is Chris Shuskowski. Sorry, Craig, if I messed up your name. Is uh, everybody pays a bid? A bid is basically a tax that you pay, a price that you have to pay for your success. And I definitely recommend this book. It's, it's all about one man's entrepreneurial journey. And if you're an entrepreneur, you you know the journey that I'm I'm talking about. Yeah. So it's definitely a, a must read. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I would say if you have if you see anything that you want to get into, I would say 
go for it. My advice would be to you, start small, learn as much as you can on that small scale. And when you're ready to go big, make sure you're ready to go big. So, and go big. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Lloyd. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? You can uh, look us up at uh, Honey Be Good Aperies on uh, Instagram. You can also contact us at honeybegood.net. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash honeybegood. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule, and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.